So our reading is from Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought to us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. This is God's word. A f- friend of the family once told me that uh, his daughter uh, uh, came home from primary school and said, Mummy, Daddy, uh, my class is putting on um, an assembly. Do you think you can come and watch? And they said, oh, I'm not sure, darling. It's a very busy kind of month for us. Um, what, what's the assembly on? And she said, oh, it's on Genesis 39. And they thought, okay, not many female parts in Genesis 39. Who, who, who are you playing? I'm going to be Potiphar's wife. We're coming. <laughs> they said. He said, luckily, it actually, the assembly didn't bear much resemblance to Genesis 39 because um, it's another racy chapter we've got this morning, uh, isn't it? Uh, let's pray as we begin. Oh, our Father, we praise you for um, your, uh, your power. We praise you for how you are able to turn 
bad into good, how you are able to work in and through the mess of our lives and bring about your good purposes from our mess. And Father, we, 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 we pray uh, again that as we see you um, at work um, this morning in this passage, uh, we, 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 the way we see that, um, we pray that that would change the way we see our lives. <laughs> pray particularly that it would change the way that we face troubles and temptations, that we would be able to see them in light of your presence with us. Amen. I um, I know a a wonderful uh, older Christian lady who many years ago um, was bereaved, and as she was kind of working through uh, her grief, she started to uh, visit other Christian widows to go and spend time with them, to listen to them, uh, to try and help and encourage them. Uh, And and what she found was that as she sat with these women and listened to their stories, listened to their troubles, um, they would describe all sorts of fears that they had as they looked into the future. But, But the worst fear that they described, the deepest fear, was the fear that they might have been abandoned by God. These women that had sort of grown up uh, hearing and knowing that, uh, that, that God is in control, that God loves them. But as they looked at their circumstances and their troubles, they found themselves asking, okay, maybe God either isn't really in control, or maybe he doesn't really love me, or if, if he is both those things, maybe he's in some sense left me, abandoned me. It's actually, it's really not uncommon for Christians to find themselves asking that question, facing that fear. I don't know if you have ever felt that fear. Has God abandoned me? You look at the painful circumstances in your life, whatever that might be, the tragic diagnosis, the long-term pain, the crushing disappointments, and question, is God with me? Has God abandoned me? No, I want to suggest that um, if anybody has ever had a reason to ask that question, Joseph, here in chapter 39, has reasons to ask that question Um, at the beginning of this story. He is facing horrendous trials here, painful circumstances. He's been thrust out of his family. He finds himself hundreds of miles away, sold as a slave in another country. And then in this chapter, he's going to obey God, and things are going to get worse. He's going to go from being a slave to being a slave in jail. If you look at those circumstances... Uh, it looks like on the surface level, God has, God has abandoned him. And yet, this chapter starts in verse 2. Look at the verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. And it ends, if you look in uh, verse 21, the Lord was with him. Starts and ends by saying, God was with Joseph. Now, we've been saying over the last couple of, of weeks that the kind of overarching story of uh, chapters 37 to 50 are all about God's control, how he works um, through the mess of our lives. Um, we saw a couple of weeks ago God's control in the midst of a dysfunctional family. We saw last week God's control um, in the aftermath of kind of devastating sin. Uh, but here what we see uh, is God's, uh, God's control, God, that being worked out in the face of horrendous troubles and temptations that Joseph faces. Three, three points we're going to see this morning. God is with Joseph in his trouble. Um, that's verses 1 to 6. God is with Joseph in temptation, verses 7 to 12. And God is with Joseph as he faces despair, which is to the rest of the chapter. And I suppose my, my, my prayer is that as we see God with Joseph here, we would learn to trust him. 
that when we face our lowest points like those widows, that we would know deep down in our bones that God is, is, is with us uh, in those times. That we would be able to reframe our experience of trouble and temptation in light of God's presence with us. So point one there, first, first thing we're going to see, God is with Joseph in troubles. Have a look down at verse one with me. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. He lived in the house uh, of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owns. From the time he put... uh, him in charge of his household and of all that he owned. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. So um, glance at verse 1 again there. uh, And just remember for a moment how far Joseph has fallen here. So chapter 37, a couple of weeks ago, we saw he was the beloved son in the family of God's kind of promised people. Uh, do you remember he was spoiled by his father, honored above all and loved above all his other brothers? He had that, the coats of many colors, that symbol of his privilege, symbol of the fact his father loves him more than anyone that he was walking around in every day. And he had this God-given dream, apparently God-given dream, that all his brothers would bow down to him, like flying high in Canaan. But that hasn't happened. He hasn't seen his brothers bow down to him. Remember, what what has he seen? He's seen his brothers conspire to kill him. He's felt their hands rip this coat from him and thrust him into a pit. He's seen them uh, receiving silver coins to sell his life into slavery. And here he finds himself, having been dragged across the desert in a far-off country, hundreds of miles from the land that God had promised to his people, sold as a slave. This is not what he had planned for his life. And this is not what he thought God was planning for his life. It literally seems to be the opposite of what God had seemed to be saying to him. I don't know about you, but I look at that and think, man, like, those circumstances would be enough to crush someone, wouldn't they? But, verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. It says here in the NIV, so that he prospered. In the Hebrew, it doesn't actually say so that. It says he was with Joseph and then he prospered. And that, that really, really matters, okay, because it means that the Lord was with Joseph before his circumstances started changing. He was with Joseph at his absolute lowest point. And that phrase, uh, God was with him, that's a huge, huge deal through, through Genesis. You may remember back to last summer, we saw uh, that, that, that God was with Abraham, um, and God promised to be with uh, his father Jacob. In chapter 28, God says, I will be with you. That phrase, God is with a person, is a big, big deal in Genesis. Here, we see it for the first time of Joseph. God was with him. And where is he when God is with him? He is at his lowest point. Now, what does that tell us about God's blessing? What does that tell us about God's presence? If it's with him here at his lowest point. Remember in chapter 37, God was never mentioned. 
when Joseph was at the top in, in Canaan. But here at his lowest point, it says that God is with him. And what does that show us about God's blessing? I suppose it's got to show us clearly God's blessing is not about comfort or convenience or about having happy circumstances. God's blessing is about having him. It's about having a relationship with him. It's about having him with you. God's blessing is not about having happy circumstances. It's about having him. At this lowest point, God was with Joseph. Now, that is a big, big deal for us to get into our heads because some of us here may be at very, very low points in our lives, perhaps lonely, perhaps unhappy, perhaps worried about the future, an elderly relative or, or, or a child or the threat of being out of work. Perhaps a longer-term battle with a mental illness or unwanted singleness or a thwarted ambition or a broken relationship. Some of us may be at very, very low points in our lives. But those circumstances can't keep us from God's blessing because God's blessing is to have a relationship with him, a relationship that can reach into every circumstance and carry us through death to be with him forever. God was with Joseph. Now, if, if you're here this morning and you're just looking into Christian things, can I, can I just ask, have you realized that? That what God is offering you in the Christian faith is a relationship with himself. God's not offering some kind of religious exchange where if I, I can make some kind of religious sacrifice, do some religious service, he rewards me with success in this world. No, God is offering you himself a relationship that is steadfast, even through the deepest and darkest troubles. Now, as we look back on this in light of the rest of the Bible, we know that because the Lord Jesus Christ died in our place on the cross, he bore all the guilt and shame, all the things that would separate me from God, he bore in himself. He was separated from God so that I know I never have to be. Whatever circumstances come, whatever sit troubles I face, I know that he, he is and can be and will be with me. Even at the lowest points, God is with Joseph here. And, 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 and God's presence with Joseph enables him to rise again in a circumstance that, that might crush other people. It's amazing that, that the impact that God's presence has on Joseph through, through, through these verses here. Um, as he learns that God can be trusted, Joseph himself kind of becomes a more trustworthy person. Just look at verse uh, 3 with me again. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put in, uh, him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Then skip down to verse 6. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself uh, with anything except the food he ate. The nature of their relationship is that Potiphar trusts Joseph. As, as, as Joseph learns to trust God, even in the lowest points, he becomes a more trustworthy person himself. And the verses are really clear. This is all God's doing. This is all God's doing. And if we, for a moment, take a step back, then we can see that yet again here, God is working out 
um, a bigger plan. So can we have those verses from Genesis chapter 12 uh, up? Um, this is a promise to, 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 to um, Abraham and his family. Uh, you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now just have a look at verse 5 with me. See if you can see the connection. Verse 5, uh, from, from partway through. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had. See the link there? God is working out his promise. Even in this moment, even at, at, at Joseph's lowest point, God is working out his plans. He's working out his promises. God is with Joseph in his troubles. And Joseph is able to rise again, serving the people around him, being a blessing to the people around him. So that's the first point then. God is with Joseph in his troubles. Next point, Joseph, uh, God is with Joseph facing temptation. Have a look at verse 7 with me. Uh, now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day, uh, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Oh, do you notice there, like, the intensity of this temptation? So it starts with that first approach back in verse 7, um, that initial approach. And remember but here, by the way, Joseph's probably about 18 or 19 years old. This would have been massively flattering probably to a slave at that age, the, 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 the initial uh, contact in verse 7. And then in verse 10, we get the kind of long attrition. Do you see verse 10? It's day after day after day this temptation is, uh, comes, comes to Joseph. It's said, isn't it, that um, opportunity only knocks once, but when temptation comes to call, it leans on the doorbell. <laughs> That's definitely true here for Joseph. Day after day, he has this temptation. And then finally, verse 12, 11 and 12, we get the, the, the final ambush, the kind of make or break moment where she grabs him physically. And in Hebrew, it's just two words. She's saying, sex now. It's, it's a command from a master to a servant. Um, remember that, 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 again, in that culture, uh, he would have had um, no rights to his own body. He would have had no rights to a moral code separate from that of his masters. So to say no to her is a horrendous insult to her. It's a dangerous thing to do as a slave. I think here in this temptation, it's not just a physical temptation. It's also temptation for sort of self-preservation going on. Intense temptation that he's facing. Now again, just notice how Genesis deals with real life. In real life people attempted to commit adultery, even God's people attempted to commit adultery. Perhaps it's a relationship that just gradually gets over time too affectionate, gets too intimate. Perhaps we kid ourselves that we'll just fantasize about it, we'll just romanticize it in our minds, but the longing builds and builds and builds, just waiting 
for the opportunity, maybe at the office party or the work trip away from home or the night out with colleagues, where the moment will come. The pressure builds and builds and builds. The temptation builds and builds. You know, you know Hamilton, the musical, he faces a prolonged temptation for adultery. Do you remember what he says? I just don't know how to say no to this. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> I just don't know how to say no to this. Come to a point where within ourselves, that's what we find ourselves saying. I just don't know how to say no to this. But Joseph says no. How? How does Joseph say no? Well, it's interesting. If you look at his refusal, um, he says no uh, very clearly um, in verse 8. He avoids in verse 11, and then he ends up running away in verse 12. Sometimes it is the most courageous thing to do, to run away <laughs> from temptation. But the key thing here is his rationale, which is in verse 8 and 9. Just look at his rationale in verse 8 and 9 again. And you notice here, it's all to do with relationships. Do you see that? First of all, his relationship with Potiphar, verse 8, he has entrusted everything to my care. Then the relationship between Potiphar and his wife, verse, um, verse 9, except you because you are his wife. And then finally, the relationship with God, verse 9, how then could I do this wicked thing and sin against? You think he's going to say Potiphar there, don't you? But he says, how could I do this wicked thing and sin against God? He sees this act as sin against God. Here, Lord of the Rings, is one ring to rule them all. Or here for Joseph, it's one relationship to rule them all. He sees this action as a sin against God. And the easiest thing to do when temptation comes, isn't it, is just to remove God from the picture, just to look at it at the human level. And how easy would that have been for Joseph to look at his circumstances, to feel sorry for him, to come on, like, I deserve some comfort here, surely. But he doesn't do that. His relationship with God here gives him uh, the perspective that he needs to, to, to cut through the lies that he might have told himself, the, the self-justification, and to avoid um, giving into temptation. Now, I, I want to be really clear. When I say it's his relationship with God that enables him to fight this temptation, I, I don't mean that um, if he gave into this temptation, his relationship with God would be over. It, it can't be that. Because do you remember last week we saw with his older brother Judah, who failed in exactly this area, and yet God's grace was able to reach in and forgive and restore him. So it's not that. It's not that if he fails, it's, he's done with God's. Rather, I think it's that his relationship with God gives him the perspective he needs to see how wrong this would be. It's God that can cut through the lies that I tell myself, the self-justification. And again, this just becomes even clearer for, for Christians looking back at this in light of the rest of the Bible, for those of us that have a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Can we have those verses from Romans up? For we know that our old self was crucified with Christ so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Again, because Christ Jesus um, died in our place for our sin. It's no longer a slave master over us. It doesn't have power over us. In Christ Jesus, I can count myself, see myself as free from the power of this temptation, see myself uh, as alive to God and able to resist. 
It's my relationship with him, with Jesus, that enables me to fight temptation. Now just notice here, Joseph doesn't find that will in himself. If you look in yourself for the, for the willpower to resist temptation, like this, you just end up like Hamilton. I just don't know how to say no to this. But through, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, looking to him and see that I am dead to sin and alive to God's, that is what can enable me to resist. So God is with Joseph here. He's with Joseph as he faces this temptation, giving him what he needs, giving him the perspective he needs to fight it. God is with Joseph in his temptations. Finally, um, I think Joseph's about to face a bigger temptation here, and that's the temptation to despair. But God is with Joseph also as he faces despair. Have a look down at verse 13 with me. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called to her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew um, has been brought to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told his master this story. The Hebrew slave you brought um, <clears throat> came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, with his, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Again, just try and put yourself in Joseph's shoes here. Just imagine how easy it would be to despair at that moment. I mean, first of all, you just got the injustice of what's just happened. He's been thrown in jail uh, specifically for doing the thing that he was trying really, really hard not to do. That's the reason that he's in jail. I mean, just the sheer injustice. He must have been bristling with anger as he remembered the sound of her lies and the kind of racial slurs that she was using as she made up this story. Just, oh, the injustice of that must have been so hard to bear. Secondly, his heart must have sunk as he looked back and thought, okay, I was thrown down into humiliation and slavery. I kind of started to build back up again, and now I'm thrown down even further. I'm even deeper, even worse off than I was before. And, and the third thing that must have been most frustrating is that this has happened because I obeyed God. I'm here literally because I tried to obey God. God, what are you doing? I mean, it's, you remember we said before his circumstances would crush most people. I mean, at this point, surely these circumstances would crush anyone, wouldn't it? They'd crush me like a twiglet, I think, if I was facing this situation. Horrendous situation. must be so tempted to despair. But verse 21, look at verse 21 with me. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness. That word kindness there is the word for God's covenant love. He showed Joseph his love in that prison cell. Joseph's circumstances had changed dramatically, but God's relationship with him remained the same. And for this reason, he can rise again and again in circumstances that would crush other people. And again, if we zoom out of this, we can see that, that, that God is in control. God is using 
all of this for a moment. I just want you to think about the ripples that come out from this moment and how far they stretch. Think about this. If Joseph hadn't resisted Potiphar's wife, he wouldn't have been thrown in jail. Okay? If Joseph hadn't been thrown in jail, he wouldn't have met um, uh, the Pharaoh's attendants that we're going to see next week and been introduced to Pharaoh. If he hadn't been introduced to Pharaoh, he wouldn't have become prime minister. If he hadn't become prime minister, he wouldn't have been able to uh, enact the the kind of food plan that he comes up with, um, which enables him to save his family. If he hadn't saved his family, who are the people of God's promised blessing, then in human terms, that line would have ended. Just think about that for a moment. The line of God's promised blessing, which we know throughout the Bible, culminates in the Lord Jesus Christ coming through whom God can bless and unite people from every tribe and tongue, color, and nation. In human terms, that would not have happened. We would not be sitting here today. You can trace all the steps of salvation history back to this moment when Joseph obeys God and gets thrown in prison for it. Now, the crazy thing is God doesn't sit him down and say, okay, Joseph, here's what I'm going to do. If you obey me, here are all the good things that are going to come. God doesn't say that. He doesn't show him the overarching plan. God is just with him in that prison cell, showing him his covenant love in that prison cell. Enabling Joseph to rise again and again, which is exactly what happens through the last few verses here. And what what does this mean for us? This is a kind of final thought, really. What does this mean for us here today? Well, I need to be very clear. God, God, God doesn't promise Christians today kind of social prosperity the way that Joseph rises here. But he does promise to be with us. And he does promise us spiritual blessings. You can read about them in Ephesians chapter 1, like a fountain of overwhelming spiritual blessings that are no less special than what happens to Joseph here. God does promise to be with Christians by his Spirit through the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever we face, whatever temptations we face, whatever troubles we might face, whatever despair we might face, we can look back at the cross and know that God is with us, that he doesn't abandon us. Even when we don't know what he's doing, I can know that he is with me. And knowing that enables us to rise again and again and again. Let's pray. Oh, we thank you so much again for your control here. We thank you so much that even when people intend things for bad, you are able to turn it to good. We thank you so much that you were with Joseph, even at his lowest moments. And I pray, Lord, that as we face troubles and trials and temptations in the years to come, and they may be horrendous, they may be unspeakably painful, I pray that we would know in those times that we would be able to reframe those moments in light of the fact that you promise to be with us. You promise us that blessing uh, of yourself, of a relationship with you. In your name we pray. Amen.